Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Freedom Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream. This is Grace Asagra, your host, and I am excited to have for the first time Alex Demetrius. But I am hoping that it wouldn't be for the first time because as you could see in the topic title that I chose is this is you know this is like a forever you need to we need to continue to educate ourselves it's a big topic so today since it's his first time we may jump from one subtopic to another but please bear with us but i trust that you could all be patient and do your own due diligence in your studies and sharing because without that um alex can only do so much and of course he's partner in 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 space commune fox green can only do so much and the rest of his team that belongs to them can only do so much we need to get together so we could understand fully all the misinformation and understand the right information so alex dimitrius thank you for being here and i'm really glad that i ran into you listening to you um following matt eric and so what I know about Alex is that he's a co-founder of Space Commune. It's a video and news platform that focuses on the intersection between geopolitics and energy. And there are some recent topics covered include the Kissingerian origins of China's one-child policy and the real, also the real um, reason why the West is becoming open to nuclear again, okay? So yeah, and how nuclear power is the building block of the sovereign nation states. And because when I looked at the website, I wanna share that to you, to the audience first, okay? So, but remember for our audience, don't forget to like, thumbs up and subscribe and definitely do share, all right? So. Let me go and share this website and Alex can chime in on what this website will all about. Alex, I just muted you, but when you're ready to talk, go ahead, okay? But let me find that website of yours. And... Spacecommune.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. I can scroll it for you. Can you see that? All right. So. So look, look, look at this, Alex, you can kind of just briefly guide us to what they can get from your website. Yeah, the homepage has it all. So we post all the articles and videos uh, on the homepage. But uh, yeah, the thesis is right there. It's, it's infused in everything that we do that we want to focus on the intersection of geopolitics and energy and specifically nuclear energy because it's simply the best energy for supporting national sovereignty and unlocking people's potential. Uh, but yeah, all, all the contents on the homepage, um, you know, we're, uh, we're based in upstate New York. Our way of unlocking all the stuff and learning about it was living pretty close to the Indian Point nuclear power plant. Um, and also just being uh, in this area that is the home of the modern environmental movement in the area around the Hudson River um, is where billions of dollars have been spent 
by uh, all the oligarch foundations uh, to, to be the birthing place of this back to the land degrowth movement that hates modernity and hates industry, hates uh, civilization. Uh, and they're trying to uh, destroy the United States and they're trying to prevent the rest of the world from developing. Um, and it's born out in so many ways. So that's our work is that we're, we're trying to tell stories that uh, show what they're doing. And then uh, just by learning what happened with all these different things, uh, we're hoping that uh, we can shed light on some larger truths that are inherent in everything. Yeah, and in their website, they're really tr very transparent. I, I like it that they started right away with, you know, all this saying that we, they are not anti-Malthusian, that they are anti-Malthusian, anti-degrowth. So, you know, for me, when I look at whom I'm going to guess whom I wanted to bring to my platform and whom I wanted to have a conversation, it has to be in my alignment of what I don't and I understand as true and in alignment with the source. And see, this is I'm putting you on the, their media page because look, there's so much information and really great topics there that you know, and also videos and interviews and so feel free to go to that website, the Space Commune. And of course, he has his Substack. Okay, so thank you. And let me just remove that. Oh, no, but before I remove that, um, what the, this is stop the screen. I also wanted to start, um, follow it up with the video of the, Fox Green's upcoming new documentary series. So if that's okay, um, Alex, I'd like to play that, all right? Sounds good. Robert Kennedy Jr. and Michael Kennedy met with Cuban President Fidel Castro, the man who was their uncle's most bitter Cold War enemy. Castro almost completed construction of a nuclear power plant, uh, which gives people a lot of concern. I work for a couple of environmental groups. I'm a senior staff attorney at NRDC. We've done a number of energy projects throughout the Americas. Where am I complicit in a war against the earth? Industrial farming is the single biggest destructive force on the planet today. Bandana Shiva is the reason why there are no GMO foods in India. She's become kind of a rock star. It's like a phenomenon. This is Bandana Shiva. I'm Dan <laughs> as a part of Bandana. Food is a weapon. When you control food, you control society. You know, energy, lovely energy. There have been times where people would kill for these potatoes. Oh, you know, organic farming and a more sustainable approach to agriculture won't feed the world. And, you know, there are tens of thousands of them all, you know, competing, trying to get a mate, trying to say something to each other, trying to outcompete each other. Certainly a few parallels between the bird world and the human world. Albert Howard was sent by the British to improve agriculture. We, we cannot put all our trust in, in giant operations, in huge you know, industrial systems, because they have within them the seeds of their own destruction. 
Older modern conventional farming was designed to battle against nature. The role he's playing behind the scenes and putting people together at creating coalitions that start to work on different plane. He is a monarch of a different kind. There were Van Donner Sheba's another person for whom I have the, the most enormous admiration. I call him my friend who is the peasant prince. Oh, well, organic farming is all very well, but it's just for a niche market and it can only be afforded by people who you know, have money. Very, very carefully uh, developed that Prince Charles should be made to look like he's some kind of a loony on the fringe. You would then make it more expensive to produce food in a way that damages the environment. 20% of population will need to be involved with agriculture because post-fossil fuel, we're going to need more um, human input. Cubans are all on bicycles now, you know, because there's no oil in the country. When the Revolutionary War started, the British grand strategy was to seize the Hudson River Valley. The idea was based on an old British idea, really, where they had river keepers who took care of the private trout and salmon streams for private fishing clubs. They began talking that night about violence. Somebody suggested that they drop a match onto the discharge from the Penn Central Pipe and blow it up. Another person said that they should float a raft of dynamite into the Indian Point power plant intake for the first time in history. The environmentalists have standing to sue if they can show that they take some kind of a spiritual and aesthetic pleasure from it. And it opened the door to environmentalists to come into court and start bringing these lawsuits. Plume of influence. Nature to me was always something that was important to fill some emptiness inside of me. Because he went to uh, Jesuit school, which I did too. I love politics. Uh, it's it, it's politics is what I do now, you know, as an environmentalist. One of the first great battles of the environmental movement in this country was the fight over the Indian Point power plant. You know, Kissinger had said, uh, if you control food, you control people. Thank you. Thank you, Fox Green. Thank you, Alex Demetrius, for creating that. Um, I think it's a great preview. Okay. And, and so I can't wait for the rest. And to, to all those who want to know more the truth, please don't hesitate to go into their website. And there's a donate button there. Okay, and help them really make it into a reality, but I'm sure they will. But at the same time, do you know, do do your part in your own little way to share the news to other people. So, Alex, I I came from I, I was raised in the Philippines. So part of what they're saying, almost everything that they said, if I just take it out of the whole bigger context, I will really resonate to it. I will really believe in like supporting everything that they do. So like, you know, in the Philippines, right? So you see a lot of poverty and I was working in, a, in really impoverished places. So I, I do um, understand about the population and the poverty, but at the same time, I'm also seeing a lot of empty lands, a lot of, um, mountains and hills and forests, things like that, that are not being tapped by, for me, like, the, you know, either the NGOs or the government to develop it. 
so that people can really be, have the means or you know the, the food because it seems like for me there's no shortage of food you walk around the supermarket there's too many too much food all right but then that's always been an excuse that you know we have to feed the world etc etc and of course then i i was I got attracted to, okay, you you take care of your health and all the GMOs and all the fertilizers, everything just hurting everyone. So then we have to stop that. So those are like the questions I have in my mind that maybe you could help help me understand and for the viewers also, like between the industrial farming and then it sounds when I look at the regenerative farming and then, but is that regenerative? Is it really organic farming? Or what is really the real deal when they capture something that is a basic to us and then weaponize it and before you know it we're the ones all the way at the bottom and then someone is enjoying it so you please help me understand that yeah i mean the world is compared to what how we are in the united states the world is massively underdeveloped and uh, a lot of the things that um that we talk about here in the west in the developed world we talk about climate change, we talk about hunger, uh, we talk about industrial farming and how Monsanto is holding farmers hostage around the world. And uh, these aren't, um, the way these problems are framed here in the West, they're not framed as um, what they really are, which is a, a development problem. So in the Philippines, for example, climate change or the weather is going to hurt the Philippines more than other countries because the infrastructure in the Philippines is insufficient to stand up to the weather as it is today. You, know, you have uh, tsunamis or um, you know bad bad weather that can happen, and the infrastructure there is not sufficient um, to keep people alive during those things and keep the, the civilization running. Um, same thing with farming. Let's say there's there's not enough food in the Philippines. People are going hungry. It's not the. It's not so much that oh, industrial farming is doing this. It's that uh, industrial farming has not been harnessed to uh, adequately meet the needs of the people of the Philippines. Um, and the same thing with energy. Um, you know, I'm looking at a list of the uh, megawatts per capita around the world. Here in the United States, we have each person gets. 10,000 um, kilowatts, kilowatt hours of energy a year. In the Philippines, is one-tenth that. Um, so there are so many things that could be done um, to make life better for people in the Philippines um, that involves the physical economy, infrastructure, uh, electricity, energy, um, that could be put into the world of farming, of housing, of industry, um, that could make it possible to live in the Philippines. And that's kind of the, the overall thesis, I think, of um, what we're doing with Space Commune is about two competing uh, narratives that are uh, being played out. And this is kind of the new Cold War that's going on. And there's a G7 Western dominated narrative, which is that, OK, like the West is developed, the rest of the world isn't. And what we need to do is celebrate how underdeveloped the rest of the world is and preserve their ways 
and say that, okay, you know, in the Philippines, you guys don't have enough uh, infrastructure and enough uh, technology to do modern farming. And that's great. We don't want to stop you guys from doing organic, you know, backbreaking labor to make food. And then there's the other narrative, which is the um, multipolar BRICS narrative <clears throat> with uh, programs like the Belt and Road Initiative with China or um, some of the financing that Russia does for energy around the world with the Rosatom and Gazprom. And that is that, oh, we want to help these developing countries actually have infrastructure uh, to build their own sovereignty so they're not dependent on the West and they're not dependent on. Uh, maintaining good relations with the United States. We want country, the BRICS nations want countries to have sovereignty, to have actual self-sufficiency, which is not peasant farming and not uh, you know, living in huts and things like that. Actual sovereignty means having your own technology, your own even indigenous technology that you, you know, imagine if the Philippines developed its own nuclear reactor that specifically meets the needs of uh, the Filipino people. Um, that's that's what the BRICS uh, alignment is attempting to do, and now um, they have uh, a majority of the world's economy is now in the BRICS alignment. Um, so that that is simply what is happening, and um, something that we're we're kind of charting with Space Commune is how uh, the G7 nations are uh, giving up in in many ways on trying to control the rest of the world uh, and. Uh, forcing uh, forcing uh, bad technology solutions like renewable energy on these other countries. Now the G7 is starting to accept that uh, you know we can't we can't prevent the rest of the world from developing because the BRICS are just being too successful at it. So I don't know if I really addressed what you're saying, but um, you no, you did, you did, um, and I am glad that you know. <laughs> part of the G7 countries are slowly saying that. And it's really do important because when you keep mentioning about the Philippines and our countries, because when I just have like a simple mind, but critical in a way that my, my country and a lot of countries that are so-called underdeveloped, we have so, so many resources. So then, but then we, have also maybe the poorest of the population in the in the world. So sometimes I have to think, you know, is that really by design or is that just uh, just kind of happen? And, you know, the same thing as something I, I would question, ask the source or God and say, why why do you why is it like that? So all, all this, but then now I I can stop asking why because I do I that, that I it's very obvious that. It is by design, but now it's more important, I guess, that that we complete this conversation at at some point today. That it will be how can we really change all of that? So I I pres I made a little PowerPoint, and I'm I'm using the images and the memes on your website because I know that that could help our audience as well. That's great. So when just like others, when you think of uh, when people hear the word nuclear power, this is what it really comes up. It's like you think of the supposedly what happened in the 
you know, explosion. Okay. But, but then many of the people who work in the power, nuclear power plants, and I, I'm close to one who really works in nuclear power plant. In he, he was the one who initially kept letting me understand, no, that's not, that's not what it means when you said you're going to use that. So please expand more on that for me. Yeah. Uh, so actually in our latest article, um, I go into this quite a bit about um, how, you know, as people know from the Oppenheimer movie that just came out, how um, nuclear weapons were developed for the first time. Um, you know, it was this crash program to create this super weapon, um, not only to win World War II, but also to win the Cold War afterwards and to combat, uh, you know, the Eurasian civilizations of, of Russia and China. Um, but nuclear energy also came out of that. And, um, you know, in the 1940s and 50s, um, initially, uh, there was a, a concerted effort by uh, President Eisenhower and a lot of elements within the United States where uh, atomic energy and nuclear technology could be used for peace, could be used for development, could be used to expand the, the possibilities of mankind and hunger, um, all kinds of great things. Uh, but shortly after that as well, there was a, a counterforce that started developing in the United States. And this was a concerted effort um, to bring about uh, concerns about overpopulation, about um, moving past the, you know, get, getting too close to the limits of the planet and of our resources. And even though nuclear energy actually um, addresses a lot of those concerns because it's one, it's the most efficient form of energy possible. You know, a tiny tablespoon of nuclear fuel could uh, address someone's electricity needs for an entire year. You know, that it's, it's such a small, once the nuclear plant is built, it's such a small amount of fuel that is needed to power a city for an entire year. You know, a truckload of fuel can do that. Um, so it's actually, you know, it actually addresses a lot of the, uh, the, the concerns that people have. But anyway, uh, there was this counterforce that developed in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, which kind of culminated in the hippie, movement um, that you, you think about. So people started to conflate nuclear energy with nuclear weapons. And that's what the cartoon on the left kind of shows is that um, what people wanted to, to portray to the public was that, oh, a nuclear plant at any moment could turn into a mushroom cloud, which is absolutely impossible. Is this not how it works? Um, and even, um, you know, some of the images, it's not in this meme, but uh, for example, the show The Simpsons, it would show nuclear waste as being this, this sludge that's just dripping into the water and it's affecting everything and then people start glowing. That's just not how it works. If you look at nuclear, um, nuclear waste, it's in a cement cask and it is, you know, air, it is bulletproof, it is airtight. There's nothing coming out of it. And it's not just a, a liquid that's, you know, flowing everywhere. Um, so, yeah, in any event, I mean, the, the propaganda against nuclear energy happened, uh, you know, it was a twofold thing. There's the, the oil and gas industry, um, which saw nuclear as an existential threat. So they actually funded a lot of the initial uh, hysteria against nuclear energy. 
Uh, you can see that very directly in some of the research and articles that uh, Fox put out on Space Commune um, of how, um, you know, the book, I think it was The Population Bomb or um, you know, some of those initial uh, fear-mongering uh, environmentalist books were just directly funded by, um, you know, uh, the Sierra Club and interests that were directly tied to the oil and gas industry. Um, so that that happened, and then um, in the 1970s and 80s, a number of things, um, a number of events happened that may have been orchestrated and may have been um, conspiracies. Uh, for example, the the movie. Um, what was it called? The China Syndrome came. Yeah, uh, was it called the China Syndrome? Yeah, the China Syndrome came out, uh, which is a movie that just uh, it was like a fantastical movie that showed a, a nuclear reactor in California melting down and uh, causing you know mass mass hysteria. And then within weeks of that, the Three Mile Island uh, event occurred. Um, and any you know any uh, reasonable reading of what happened there uh, would say that it's it was probably uh, some form of sabotage that happened um, that coincided with the movie The China Syndrome that came out. Three Mile Island is always thrown around as an example of how nuclear power is so dangerous. If you actually look at it, no one died. Um, there was very little radiation that escaped. You know, it, it it was fine. It wasn't a big. It was actually it wasn't actually a big deal. Um, and Chernobyl happened as well in the 80s. You know, that was a little worse. Like the, the USSR um, was not running their nuclear program as well as the United States at that time. Uh, but even that, I mean, the damage was very limited. People still live in Chernobyl. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's not, the effects were not nearly as serious as they were made out to be because, um, you know, we have, we have to look at who benefits from a nuclear disaster. And uh, the people that benefit the most are, you know, uh, interests that want to hold back uh, humanity from having enough energy, and also oil and gas companies because ultimately they're locking in, um, you know, more uh, more market share for themselves. Um, so I don't know. So that that's a that's a lot that I just uh, talked about. But uh, yeah, overall, you know, today now um, there's this new movement in nuclear energy where um, a lot of environmentalists are now seeing the benefits of it because environmentalists are realizing, oh, if they actually want, if we actually want to decarbonize the economy, have cleaner energy, nuclear energy is actually the only solution for that. I don't think that's the best reason to build nuclear energy. I think the fact that it's simply um, the safest, the safest way to expand um, the energy potential of every single human being, and it runs 24-7 with very little uh, fuel. Um, that's the best reason. Um, but hey, you know, if environmentalists want to uh, you know change their mind, that's good. So that's why on the right-hand side, you know, now it's it's being kind of promoted as oh, you know, actually it's not as bad as we said it was. Forget everything we said. So that some of our work, you know, some of our work is showing um, how people have flipped on this over the years. And how hysterical um, things were in the past against nuclear energy. Thank you for that. And uh, I keep so the the real spelling because I keep messing the spelling is spacecommune.com. Okay, so for I strongly recommend that for your for everyone's resource. 
And um, I wonder if you could, uh, how about, can you also tell us a little bit more on what happened to Cuba? Because, you know, I've been to Cuba and Cuba is one of the most beautiful places as well to visit. And what uh, I can kind of relate to Cuba from in relationship to the history of the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So how about you tell us more about that? Sure. Yeah, so with Cuba, um, with Cuba, they're, um, you know, they were obviously um, communist country or socialist country. I was uh, blockaded by the United States for a long time. USSR, while it existed, um, helped uh, supply Cuba with oil and gas um, to power their country um, and to make, uh, and you know, Cuba's main export was, I think, sugarcane. Um, so a lot of the sugarcane in the world um, came out of Cuba at that time. And in order to farm it, they, they did need fossil fuels to do that. Um, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Cuba was actually, you know, in a real situation where um, degrowth, as we as we talk about today, was forced upon them. You know, pe uh, a lot of people in the West fantasize about these scenarios where, oh, let's stop using fossil fuels tomorrow because we're killing the planet. Well, that means that the amount of calories that you can eat in a day will plummet. The amount of energy that you can use in a day plummets. Um, it causes mass death, causes starvation. It's, it's not a fun scenario to be in. I think people in the West, we've had it so good for so long that we think degrowth means that we're going to be laying in a hammock, eating apples, and just doing a little work. Um, basically, what happens is when you stop using fossil fuels for agriculture, the amount of backbreaking labor that you have to do exponentially goes up. And um, I think that's alluded to in the documentaries that, um, you know, in the trailer that, we, that you showed. Um, you know, right now in the West, tiny, tiny percentage of people are involved in agriculture, something like under 5%. Um, without fossil fuels, that number goes up to 30 or 50%, um, where you're not going to be laying in a hammock all day. You're going to be out in the fields, breaking, breaking your back to, um, you know, to grow a potato to eat for dinner. Um, so anyway, so in Cuba, what happened was um, on many fronts, they were in an energy crisis. The U.S. was still blockading Cuba, as they are now. Um, so Cuba was trying to find solutions. So um, the USSR turned to Russia. Um, and <clears throat> I think while the USSR was still um, all around, they were starting to um, scope out building a nuclear plant in Cuba to address, to help address their energy needs. Now for an island nation, nuclear power is great because um, it requires such a small amount of fuel. Uh, with natural gas plants, you need a constant supply of fuel being either you know, shipped to you in a with terminals or you need a, a pipeline um, in order for you to burn natural gas. So that's, that's not really ideal for an island nation because sometimes um, you know, whether you're blockaded or um, there's something happening like right now with the, the canal, um, you know, with the Houthis uh, shooting missiles at boats and stuff. So nuclear power really is like the best, one of the best options for um, an island nation. So the USSR uh, proposed a nuclear plant in Cuba. Um, long story short, stuff happened with the USSR. Russia started to pick up the pieces in the 
mid nineties and they were like, okay, let's, let's still do this. You know, we'll help finance Cuba building a nuclear plant and then we'll ship uh, nuclear fuel to them. That's through their company Rosatom, uh, which is still around today. It's their nationalized nuclear energy company. Um, so what happened in the mid nineties, it was a ter terrible, terrible thing that happened. Um, you know, we're talking about a dirt poor nation, Cuba, that to this day has crippling electricity problems. They're trying to dig themselves out of it. They have a potential solution um, on the line with this nuclear power plant, a lifeline. And what happens in the United States is, oh, okay, well, now it's time for our environmentalists, our empathetic environmentalists that are just trying to, trying to keep people safe. Um, they dispatch Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to Cuba um, to pressure Castro and to explain that, oh, you know what? You, you guys can't build this nuclear plant here. I know you guys have the financing and the desperate need for it, but uh, you guys can't do it. You simply can't. And they fear monger. They pretended like, oh, well, if, uh, you know, Cuba's nuclear plant, if it blows up, then hundreds of miles away, the United States might be slightly affected which is a ridiculous concern. Um, but that's what they sold to the public and people bought it because why wouldn't they? The decades of nuclear hysteria uh, had been had been happening at that point. The nuclear industry in the U.S. had flatlined by that point. So nobody, few people understood um, why it was important that Cuba did that. So anyway, so as kind of, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, poetry in history where uh, you know, Kennedy and Castro in the 60s, they had the Cuban Missile Crisis and the standoff. And then decades later, the guy's nephew um, goes to Cuba and pressures them, you know, uh, basically d demands that they don't uh, exercise their sovereignty in building a nuclear plant. And that's what happened. So they pressure them to not build a nuclear plant. The alternative that was proposed was that they can, they can burn sugarcane for energy, which is ridiculous. You know, it, that's supposedly renewable energy because sugarcane will keep growing, um, but it's such a low form of energy. Um, and obviously to this day, just search the word Cuba blackouts, Cuba energy shortage. And you'll see that uh, sugarcane is not meeting their needs. I think they have, just like the Philippines, um, they get one tenth of the energy that we get on a daily basis. Um, so it was a, it was a tragedy and um, you know, may, maybe um, a lot of people that are into seeking the truth and, um, you know, trying to uh, fight for the little guy in, in the world, maybe uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidency appeals to them. Um, but if you look at that, I mean, that was what he did with Cuba there. He was dispatched as an, as an agent of the U.S. empire uh, to prevent a dirt poor nation from developing its own energy, and he succeeded. And the and uh, I can't imagine how many thousands of people have died in Cuba because of that one decision, which wasn't there. It wasn't a decision. It was simply, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was there um, as kind of the the tip of a loaded gun from the U.S. pointing at, at Cuba, saying, "You guys can't build this nuclear plant." Um, so it was a huge tragedy. Not many people know about it. Uh, and that is going to be one of the major parts of the documentary is telling that story um, and showing the ideology and the history um, that made it possible.
Great. So these stories really need to be told. When you mentioned about John F. Kennedy, it reminded me of you know his uh, part of what he said during his presidential uh, not the campaign. He said, "Man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life." And yet, the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe. So it doesn't really make sense that, you know, after decades, this thing's still happening. Same thing as, I don't know, sometimes when yeah, he said we kind of have to go back, we can't really go back. It's becoming like a neo-feudalism journey to, to go back. And uh, a viewer mentioned that today the designs have changed and it is even safer. And the cost has increased so much due to government regulations. So if you want to add more on that, and I have this image for you. I think these are all the various countries that are using already or building um, nuclear power plants. And you could tell me what are maybe the top four mm -hmm. <laughs> countries and how they are doing economically. Yep. Uh, well, yeah, for, first to address uh, the viewer's question, that's exactly right, that um, regulations uh, have, have made the cost of nuclear skyrocket, primarily in the West. China and Russia build nuclear far, far cheaper than we do, uh, just as safe with even more advanced designs. Um, the United States has the most nuclear power plants in the world, um, and they're mostly, they're almost all built in the 60s and 70s. Um, these are old, they're called second generation designs uh, that require a lot of water for cooling. Still good designs, they still work pretty well. Um, they're totally safe. Um, but to build new nuclear in the United States, um, this is covered in our latest article that we just put out called uh, about the US and Russia's grand uranium bargain. Uh, in the, I'll just give a quick history. In the 50s, um, we had something called the Atomic Energy Commission. Their mission um, determined that the Congress set for them was to use nuclear energy to promote peace and to increase prosperity. Uh, in 1974, Gerald Ford disbanded the Atomic Energy Commission and he turned it into something called the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And the mission of that commission is not to promote the use of, it, of nuclear energy. It's to just address the, the safety concerns that were inevitably being brought up um, by mostly activists and hippies um, and oil and gas executives um, that wanted to stop nuclear energy in its tracks. And that commission goes on today. Um, that's why since that commission was started in 1974, um, I think only 20 nuclear plants have been built in the United States, whereas before uh, over 70 were built. So since then, you know, it's, it's become impossible to build nuclear plants in the West. Um, but it's starting to happen again because it's it's break it's breaking through all of that because it is simply the best form of energy. So then the other countries uh, that you can see in this uh, image, um, I believe, I think France is number two. I'm not sure exactly, but I know the top four are certainly France and Russia and China. Uh, France, uh, I think, gets 60 or 70 percent of their power from nuclear energy. Um, they do have some. Um, you know, it's mostly uh, Western aligned, although Russia uh, is somewhat invested in some forms of the nuclear energy. 
Uh, and then Russia and China, they've developed their own uh, state-run nuclear energy. With Russia, it's called Rusatom, uh, which is a descendant of the USSR's nuclear program. When the USSR dissolved, um, it, the country became was getting looted by oligarchs. Um, but then when Putin took office, uh, he brought Rusatom back under majority state-owned control. So, um, you, you know, you mentioned something earlier about how uh, developing countries are so rich in resources. And, um, you know, what Russia has been able to accomplish and China, as I'll get to, is that uh, kind of finding ways along every step of the value chain to uh, use the rich natural resources and technology to make the people of the country rich. So with Russia, um, you know, they don't have a ton of uranium in the country anymore, but they have a very close relationship with Kazakhstan, which uh, mines most of the world's uranium. Um, and then Russia has all the facilities it needs in, in their country to turn that uranium into nuclear fuel. And then they have, I think 20% of their energy comes from uh, nuclear plants in the country. And then also they have this great technology through Rusatom, um, they have their own reactors that they then um, help other countries build nuclear energy. And the deal is, is that um, developing countries can build a nuclear power plant with Russia for almost no money up front. And then Russia just makes its money back over decades selling the nuclear fuel to these countries. Uh, so that's what Egypt just did. They just got four nuclear reactors. Um, they're called Viver reactors. These are the uh, this is the second nuclear plant on the entire African continent, which, as you can imagine, has even less energy than um, the Philippines. Even though Africa is very rich in natural resources, uh, their ability to actually use the resources on their continent uh, for their people's benefit is very low. Um, there are some uranium mines in Africa. And what Rusatom is doing is that they're building up this massive competency on the African continent. Where they're building a, They have an academy. Uh, where they're, um, they're they're building this generation of African scientists um, who have expertise in nuclear energy and nuclear security. Um, and they've built four nuclear plants in Egypt. There's uh, memorandums of understanding with a number of other nations in Africa. Um, so not only is Russia building the nuclear plants in their own country, they're helping other developing countries um, you know, be able to do the entire value chain where uh, there could be a mine in Africa where they mine the uranium. And then if they build this, um, the scientific vigor in Africa, they'll also be able to process the fuel in Africa. And then they'll be able to actually use the fuel in Africa. So that that is the dream there. Uh, and then China, the same thing. They've developed um, new, a massive amount of nuclear capacity they have the most nuclear plants planned for the rest of the world of any country. Um, they're planning on spending $440 billion on nuclear um, power plants in their own country. And, uh, you know, it's undeniable in China. Um, they've, they've managed to industrialize their country quite a bit. But if you go to a Chinese city, uh, there is a lot of smog. And that's because they're mostly burning coal there. Um, and they figured out how to burn it as cleanly as possible. Uh, but now what they're trying to do is, um, in addition to building up the amount of energy that they, they have access to, uh, they also want to start replacing some of the coal plants with nuclear plants, which are uh, infinitely cleaner. 
uh, for for uh, air for people to breathe. Uh, so China too, just like Russia, um, they've developed their own nuclear designs. Um, they used to just import technology from other countries. Now they've iterated on it so much they have their own designs, and now they're even making uh, what are called fourth-generation nuclear reactors, which are incredibly advanced. Uh, these these reactors have the capability of reprocessing um, spent nuclear fuel. So what what that could potentially do is that um, if we keep um, this is happening in Russia and China primarily, but also in the United States a little bit is the capability of um, taking nuclear waste and nuclear byproducts, reprocessing it, and then using it again, uh, which could create a, a potentially an infinite fuel cycle, almost infinite fuel cycle, where the limits to growth will be completely, completely proven false. Um, where basically, you know, we've mined, let's say there's a finite amount of uranium. Uh, the, the fuel and the byproducts from it can just be used over and over and over again. Um, in an extremely clean and safe way uh, to power industry and to increase potential for people. So China's doing that too. They're, they're doing a little less exports than uh, Russia. Russia is the main exporter of nuclear technology. Uh, but China is starting to do that a little bit with the Belt and Road Initiative, but mostly they're building nuclear in their own country. It's, um, it, I, I love it that you mentioned about Africa as well, because here yeah, it's, it's, it's tremendous, again, resources. And I keep thinking that there's so many kinds of resources. So I, and if the earth has survived for be way before us, so there should be a lot of resources that is extremely possible. So that word limits to growth is like a propaganda. It's like a manipulation that gets encrypted on our mind. So it's it's about time that we can really kind of change that and see what we're you know what we have to relearn again. And and there's this uh, comment and maybe you could add more to it. And it says many plants are being decommissioned with no plans to replace these plants. Wind farms. And solar cannot supply the replacement needs. You exactly. I mean, that statement alone, whoever said that, that statement alone is just objectively true. Um, I, mean, I, can, I can give an example just right here in my backyard. Uh, we had the safest nuclear plant in the world called Indian Point. Um, right, It was about 30 miles north of New York City right along the Hudson River, uh, amazing nuclear plant that was built uh, with the, the power of, of, the, of New York State, um, you know, publicly owned. Uh, and what happened over uh, decades was that these environmentalists, we, we live in the, like I said, the birthplace of the environmental movement. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. himself was the uh, lead attorney for um, an organization called Riverkeeper. Uh, and what they did was over decades, um, they committed um, ecological terrorism against this nuclear plant. And uh, all, all along the same time, um, they pushed the, the myth that, well, we'll just build enough wind turbines and solar panels and uh, we'll replace this nuclear plant. And that's just been proven even by the most friendly environmentalist media out there, like the New York Times, 
that's been proven utterly false. Uh, what objectively happened was that Indian Point was shut down way too early, never should have been shut down. They could have just retrofitted it. And what has happened now is that um, that energy, which uh, was the stable source of um, energy for New York City, provided 25% of New York City's energy. It's been replaced by natural gas plants um, in conjunction with solar panels and wind turbines. And um, the prices for energy in New York State have skyrocketed because of this. Because now, um, you know, nuclear energy, if you look at a chart of, um, let's say, an energy mix for a state over a year, nuclear energy is, is, is known as baseload. If you look at the chart, it's just flat. You know, nuclear energy is just humming all the time. Uh, it runs, you know, just you know exactly what you're getting. So it's a very stable source of energy. Uh, all the other sources of energy, like um, if you're relying on uh, solar panels, you're about 15% of the time, you're going to get energy from solar panels. Uh, if a cloud goes over the sun, the power stops. Uh, wind turbines too. If there's not enough wind, no power. If there's too much wind, no power. The wind has to be just right for wind turbines to be working. So what you see um, you know, when you look at an energy chart over time is that the wind turbines and the solar panels are like this, and you're not sure when you're going to get the energy. Um, and then natural gas has to step in at that moment and um, create a large amount of electricity very quickly and spin up, which is very expensive. So not only, you know, the, the price of natural gas is very variable, um, and then um, it's not very profitable or very efficient to run those plants in such a haphazard manner. So what happens is uh, not only are you replacing very steady, reliable energy with chaotic energy, um, but what you're doing is you're turning your energy grid into a casino. Uh, so what you know what what happens is trade you know energy um, is traded on markets uh, in every state, it's, and it's basically a casino where um, the traders are looking ahead to the weather and they're saying, "Oh, you know what? It's going to be cloudy tomorrow, so um, I bet we can get a lot of money, uh, you know, selling natural gas energy because the solar panels aren't going to be working." And then other guys are going to say, oh, you know what? Actually, I don't think it's going to be that cloudy. So I bet that it, um, the solar panels will be working. And it basically, it just it turns it into a trading floor or a casino, uh, whereas nuclear energy is just, it just creates this. And once the plant is built, obviously it is built expensive um, to build a plant. Uh, but once it's built, it's, it's very stable and you know exactly what you're getting. And um, I, I, I want to add this uh, image because I think you. this is from the different plants, nuclear plants, power plants in China, right? And this is just a few. Can you tell us more about it? It's huge. And I, when I look at it also, they're very, China seems to be very aware of some geometrical designs that could help make everything efficient. I don't know. That's just my take because I like to see geometrical um, sacred symbols or geomancies. So for me, they always have to think beyond what the ordinary people think. And when you said when they they even in infrastructures, because I was able to visit China when I was part of the twenty one. Uh, nurses who were like a diplomat 
in many years ago. And the buildings, tremendous, fantastic, different designs of huge buildings. Yeah, and, and I was very impressed with that. So tell me more about these different images. You know, that's one thing. I think the images speak for themselves. Um, I'm, I'm not a, a very artistic-minded uh, person. I, I should be. But, uh, you know, they've created these. I, I think with, with, with China, what they do um, with taking, taking in uh, what other civilizations are doing and making it uniquely Chinese, um, you know, clearly these designs are different from how... Uh, a nuclear, you know, I think in the West, uh, nuclear plants are often thought of as these brutalist, uh, imposing infrastructure um, things that are supposed to be ugly and utilitarian. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they could be beautiful, and um, you know, they are beautiful in their their own way. But uh, these designs obviously are even better looking, and um, you know that that matters. I mean, that matters a lot because. Um, you know, no matter what you're doing in anywhere, I don't care if you're in authoritarian China or the free uh, West, um, there are going to be people that don't like what you're doing or they're scared or they're being um, you know, manipulated into fear mongering about something. So if something can look beautiful and really integrate with the surroundings and, in, and actually be inspiring to look at and to uh, inspire, you know, the, the best the best in every person when they look at it, um, that can be better. So yeah, these designs are, are very cool. Um, you know, that, that's all. <laughs> and and I, I know, like I know, there's an island in China called Fujian, uh, which is kind of a new, a very very cool nuclear island where um, they have almost every kind of react. It's, it's an island of about 10 million people. It's pretty big, but uh, they have almost every single kind of nuclear reactor there. I'd love to go there someday. I've never been to China, but um, they have everything ranging from the big old designs of nuclear reactors that have elements from American and French designs. They have some Russian uh, reactors there. And then they have these new indigenous Chinese reactors that are fourth generation and they're called small modular reactors, which um, you know re require the least amount of land to, uh, to, to create a lot of energy and uh, you know, they have the, the latest and greatest designs. So I'd love to see it someday. Yes, I'm sure you will. And I brought that to your attention and to the viewers, just to emphasize that it there are, you know, it's good to know whether how wasteful a one power design would be, how ugly it could look, or the impact of any construction infrastructure in the community. But that doesn't have to, we, that do not have to stop our creativity, our building, our future development, because there's always a way if we wanted to really think about the future of the, the children and the, the entire humanity, then there is a way. But sometimes they keep pushing that there's no other way. But look, many people don't even um, know how much or what happens to all these others, what they need to do, what is required to make solar panels or after the solar panel, the same thing as the, the wind, you know, the wind, solar wind powers, 
you know, there's just so much that people don't know. Okay, you you presented to us as a green move in revolution or something, but on the other hand, no. Uh, it, I, I remember, I'm not sure where I read it, but that the China was able to create always some very digital, my tiny nuclear power thing that they're testing, right? That yeah. can be used. What it, maybe you can, you remember what it is. It's just recently yeah. posted. I don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert on it, but I know it's a, a tiny nuclear powered battery that can last 50 years on one charge. So. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, imagine, you know, imagine having your phone, never being, never having to charge your phone again. Okay, so let's continue to reading um, a comment because he's very engaged. He said, actually, the cooling water release is warm water that the fish like. It's actually a good place to fish. Mm. And he further said, nuclear should be a stepping stone until we can do move more toward fusion reactors like the tokamak princeton plasma physics reactor so this program had funds cut by the carter administration so share your thoughts yeah you know the the fish and the water um that that's a funny that's a funny one because uh you know i can't help but think about how they uh, shut down indian point in New York State. So for them, the, the hot water released by the nuclear plant, they, you know, the environmentalists claimed that it was killing tons of fish and it was destroying the livelihoods of the, the, the noble fishermen of the Hudson River. Um, the Hudson River is so, you know, not because of nuclear energy, but the Hudson River is very polluted from um, GE. Um, they used to dump a lot of waste in there. So it's actually illegal to fish in the Hudson River anyway, but apparently it was killing a lot of fish uh, to put this hot water in the river. But I know with newer designs, I mean, there's less and less impact with all that stuff. Um, I would love to fish near a nuclear plant. I mean, that, there's almost, there's no danger whatsoever. Um, there's actually, uh, you know, one of the big issues right now that's going around the world is uh, something called uh, tight, Tritated um, nuclear wastewater. Uh, tritium is a, a nuclear byproduct that uh, gets diffused uh, quite a bit and is released with the water uh, from a nuclear plant into a river. Um, tritium is used in watches and also in exit signs. Um, it's something that glows. It actually, you know, it, it reacts with phosphorus to glow. Um, and basically, what happens is um, there's such a small amount of it that gets released into the water from a nuclear plant. Um, it's it's almost undetectable. Uh, it's incredible, you know, at an incredibly low concentration. You could drink um, an entire gallon of tritiated water, um, and it'd be the you the amount of radiation you'd experience from that is the same as drinking just a beer. Like a, a beer has a, as much radiation in it than a gallon of tritiated water. Uh, going on an airplane, if you take a flight from New York State to California, you get as much radiation as you would from drinking a gallon of tritiated water every day for a year. Uh, it's just, you know, it's totally insane. Uh, but like your commenter mentioned, you know, uh, bringing up this issue about oh, what does it do to the water? Uh, 
there's just something psychological um, about our bodies that people are able to fear monger about where, um, you know, people will want to protect their body, right? I mean, it's, I want to protect my body, uh, but there's just something about appealing to this uh, base instinct, this illogical base instinct or fear that we all have of being having our body violated in some way. And that's kind of how charlatans and uh, evil, in my opinion, evil acts are done or evil propaganda is spread is by making people afraid that their body is being violated when it's actually not. And that's kind of the thing about this, you know, the fear about water from nuclear plants, um, the fear about a uh, nuclear plant blowing up, which is impossible, or even what, you know, we talked, we touched on agriculture before, and that's a whole other topic. Um, you know, that's going to be covered in uh, the documentary, which people can learn about at spacecomedy.com. Uh, but uh, the whole idea about um, using all these terms that you, you mentioned before, like regenerative agriculture, organic agriculture, you know, uh, biodynamic agriculture, these are all terms that stoke that uh, that fear that we all have, our body being violated, and that, oh, just by eating something, um, I'm, I'm being violated by this, you know, by Monsanto or by the fossil fuel companies. Um, and that's where, it, that's, there's so much uh, opportunity that's created by stoking that fear. And, uh, you know, that's a whole agriculture thing. That's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the overall thesis is that uh, people, people in, in order to, to do these acts of eco-terrorism, whether it's in Sri Lanka, getting them to stop using fossil fuels completely in their agriculture, which threw the country into chaos and caused a color revolution, or in you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. going to Cuba or going to Westchester, New York, and saying that the nuclear plant's going to blow up and it's going to kill everybody, um, and that the water is getting infected by the, you know, the fish are getting killed and the uh, radiation is going into the river. We're all drinking it. We're all going to die. These are all things that are done to, to stoke fear in people. Um, and, you know, it's hard. You, you can't just be a fact checker and say, oh, that's actually not true. You know, where's your peer reviewed study? Uh, you have to combat it with stories of your own. And that is something that's very hard to do. Um, you know, if, you, if you're up against somebody that's saying that your body is being violated, that's a very hard thing to overcome. Um, the burden of proof is very high. That's a very serious thing to, to throw out there. Um, so that's what, we're, that's what we're attempting to do. You know, it's quite it's quite a, uh, a mountain to climb, but it sounds like, uh, you know, you and your viewers are uh, trying to answer those questions and navigate the world. Um, you know, in a, in a good way. And in, and in spite of the fact that we are in the minefield of all this, all this misinformation, it is also, we have to take it also as the, uh, a, a picture of that pregnant, you know, when they say we're like pregnant of opportunities. So like, you know, because now that's what really helped me to keep 
not just to slow down on my reaction or response to something and then you know just listen to it and then get to know more about it okay because if not we'll just jump into something that okay because the word like you know regenerative things like that i guess what i'm saying is everything is infiltrated everything has a misinformation from from all aspects okay from all angles so it is but most important to have that intuitive knowing and that's what uh, alex mentioned earlier that you just there's just something in us that will lead us to like okay maybe it's not the whole thing not the whole truth so it's just a little bit you have this article and do tell me i even printed it oh yeah that's one thing too there there the articles there in the substack of alex demetrius you could just love to print everything because i like to read it and hold it with my hands so he says the nuclear for me but not for thee and then you know because i think most people don't know that even um bill gates has some you know projects or they're doing projects in nuclear energy do you want just a little bit of that yeah i think that's actually uh one of fox's articles in this the substack is you can find all the articles on spacecommune.com or if you like substack they're all on spacecommune.substack.com um, but yeah, Fox wrote that article and, um, basically that's part of this larger thesis that we have, um, that, um, you know, why is nuclear suddenly becoming so promoted and so, um, accepted by the West and Bill Gates is part of that. Bill Gates is a major investor in nuclear energy and what people like RFK Jr. and Vandana Shiva, who you know, we believe our charlatans um, will say is like, oh, well, nuclear energy is promoted by Bill Gates. So it's bad. Oh, you, you like you're on the side of Bill Gates. Uh, and the thing is, like, there's a good there's a good reason to support nuclear energy. It's because it's an, it's just it's, it opens so many opportunities for humanity. It increases your nation's sovereignty and energy security, your ability to take care of your own people. That's a good reason. Bill Gates wants to invest in nuclear energy because um, they want, you know, they're 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 pushing this great reset idea, where uh, everything in the future is going to be on the cloud, and in these data centers, in these AI centers, and those things are incredibly energy intensive. Um, you know, even the idea of having your own your, your computer is an example of this, where. Um, in the future, every if everything's on the cloud, you're not going to have your own computing power to run your own programs or to do your own thing that you want to do. Everything will have to be rented on a supercomputer that's somewhere else that will be powered by a small modular reactor. Uh, and if you are trying to do something that the powers that be don't want you to do, you're just not going to be able to do it because you can only do things that are approved um, on the cloud computing. And you're not going to have your own machine to run your own calculations and make your own discoveries. Uh, so that's kind of the, the the overall thesis of that is, um, you know, just because it's nuclear doesn't mean that it's good. And you know, I think that's that, that's something that uh, you know, we mentioned. If you've had Matt Aaron on and um, us as well, I hope you have Fox on at some point. Um, mm -hmm. 
is that uh, you know technology can be used for objective good, and it also can be used for objective bad. And that doesn't mean that technology is good or bad. It just means that you have to have uh, a, a consciousness of um, pursuing the good, and you have to believe that there is objective good, um, and that humans are good. Uh, and a lot of the people that uh, are the powers that be are, don't necessarily believe those things. And maybe they have a nihilist ideology or they believe that humans are evil or that, um, you know, only certain humans should be allowed to live. And that's where um, that's where technology can be used for, for very bad things. And it's the same thing with, you know, we, we touched on agriculture before. That's where um, seed technology or fossil fuels and agriculture, it's not objectively always good, uh, but those things can be used for good to massively expand the amount of food that is uh, produced to support a, a growing population of, of, of people. Uh, but those technologies can also be used for control and for bad things. And that's kind of the middle ground where a lot of uh, people get, uh, get stuck or get exploited is that um, they're told that, okay, well, nuclear can be used for bad. So therefore it is always bad and you should be anti-nuclear and you should just want to, to be like Cuba and burn, you know, sugarcane and dung for energy because that's that's all we deserve. Um, and that's simply not the case. Nuclear can be used for extremely good things, uh, and that's what we should be pursuing. As they always say, and as all I always hear, we don't have to throw the baby in the bathwater, you know. And, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, what, and also another thing how I do is try to be careful with what I hear is when, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's a wrong thing, my way, whenever they keep saying, when I say they, you know, the oligarchy that controls it, it says when they keep saying no, 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 that's when I say, hmm, maybe it is a yes. <laughs> 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 then, of course, I do my own research, okay? So, Good. um I, I I do thank you so much, and I would like to invite you again in the future. I'll just reach out to you, and yes, you know, if Fox Green, I would like to invite you too. So maybe I'll make a connection through Alex, and anything yeah. that I can do. So why don't you invite again, and you know, last wisdom or words from you, please do address that. Sure. Well, yeah, your viewers, you know, if, if you guys could go to spacecommune.com, we have lots of ways to follow along. You know, we have, we have uh, Twitter accounts, we have YouTube, we have um, email. Um, just follow along. You know, we're putting out a lot of content, um, articles, and uh, this documentary series. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, just um, touching on uh, some of the things that we like to cover. If, you, if you're interested in energy, if you're interested in learning about how energy interacts with geopolitics, uh, that's what that's what we do. So uh, spacecommune.com. And uh, once again, I just want to thank you for um, having me on. And uh, obviously, you know, you did you did a lot of research and engaged with what we did, and you had really uh, insightful questions. So I appreciate that, and also you know your your viewers who commented. You know, thank you for giving me interesting things to respond to. 
Well, thank you again, Alex Demetrius of SpaceCommune.com. And his substack is Alice, uh, at Alex Demetrius. Just Google him. Uh, you'll be you'll be excited too that I started since I live in Princeton University area, so I started attending the Plasma Physics Saturday Science. And guess what the topic will be this week? Is the space is the net zero and the coming one with uh, I think more again on the climate change. So you know I'll be sharing what you just shared to me as well. Very cool. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> awesome. It's it's good to hear them. Also, I know I would I know I wouldn't be learning what you just mentioned from this side, but I like to hear it from all angles, so I would know how to respond to any conversation, whether small or big. Yep, that's the way to go. So thank you for our viewers and followers. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share and. You all have a good day and have a good time. Whatever you do, don't let, you know, anyone take the joy out of your life. Take care and source bless. This is Grace Asagra of Quantum Nurse Podcast.